our earthly parents is often the lens in through which we see God. I'm going to give you guys an analogy that God gave me when I was preparing for this message. You've got two parents and two toddlers. Both children spill milk. One parent yells, fusses, and berates the child because they are frustrated that they now have a mess to clean up behind this child. The other parent recognizes that it's simply a child. Their coordination isn't always, always there. And because they haven't learned to maneuver the cup 100% of the time perfectly, messes get made. This parent says, it's okay, mistakes happen, and then uses this as an opportunity to help the child not only clean up the mess, but to learn from it and carry the cup more carefully next time. One child will walk in fear that every time they make a mistake, they're supposed to get in trouble. The other child walks in grace, and they even extend grace to others because they have always been extended grace. With that said, today I want you to contemplate, which child are you, and how do you view God? I'd like to submit to you today that God is like the second parent. He understands that you don't have it all together. You won't always get it right. According to Psalm 103, he is compassionate and understands that we all have weaknesses. Scripture, that scripture says that he doesn't punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us. But instead, those who reverence him, he loves us unconditionally. Which child are you? And how do you view God? Family, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Lord, as we move forward in this service, God, I just invite you to just invade this place, God. I pray that every heart would be open, Father. Lord, I am simply a vessel that you are using to communicate your word, but God, speak to my heart the same way that you speak to each and every person listening, whether online, whether today, whether later. God, you know how to reach each person in their circumstances. God, I pray that each and every person would understand your grace and your mercy, Father, that you are not a harsh God looking to punish us or be hard with us, but God, that you are loving and merciful. To you be all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we are in the last message of a series called Mercy in His Eyes, and we're going to talk about the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand up before the group, and Jesus said, excuse me, and they said to Jesus, excuse me, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast, throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard it began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go 
now and leave your life of sin. In the beginning of John chapter 8, we see the religious leaders bring this woman to the temple who had been caught in adultery. In the previous chapter, chapter 7, everyone is divided about if Jesus is truly the Messiah, and the religious leaders are plotting to arrest him. But there's so much confusion on why they are arresting him. So as we see in the beginning of chapter 8, they try to set Jesus up by bringing a woman who was caught in adultery in order to see what he would say. They expected that his response would give them legal right to arrest him. Now, before I get into this, I want to say that this woman was simply collateral damage and an egomaniacal attempt to stop Jesus and maintain spiritual authority among the people. Why do I say that? Because they say that they're following the law. But according to Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22, the man and the woman should have been stoned. But according to this text, we only see the woman being brought to Jesus. They humiliated her, embarrassed her, and it was an attempt to catch Jesus up by saying and asking him what he should do with her. Yes, according to the law of Moses, she should have been stoned to death, but so should the man. But that's not truly what they brought her there for. They wanted to test and see if Jesus would follow the law. With that said, in this message, I'm going to address God's mercy in two ways. One, his mercy in addressing the hearts of judgmental people. And two, his mercy when you have been caught red-handed in sin. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were just doing so well, you know, you got it going on, I'm living righteously, and then all of a sudden you realize that you're not as far along or doing as good as you think? Romans 12 and 3, Jesus says, For by grace given to me, I say to each and every... Excuse me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Is it possible, it is possible actually, to get a little beside ourselves sometimes and think we're above reproach or think that we're perfect or holier than other people? As leaders, they thought that they were upholding the law and the will of God. They're like, basically... We want to see if you're really from God by seeing if you will obey his law. But I personally question if they really cared if God sent him or if they just didn't like that God's message came from an unlikely place. They were literally being religious and feared that he'd be reverenced by the people. Jesus' mercy in this text basically says, sure, go ahead and stone her. Go ahead honor the law by killing her for disobeying the law. But only those who have not sinned and has perfectly followed the law throw the first, sin, throw the first stone. We can sometimes think that we're better off because our sin is not their sin, but oh, God will humble you. It was that comment that allowed them to check their own hearts and look inwardly. Jesus didn't just save the woman caught in adultery. In essence, he led the Pharisees into the light. Sometimes when we are being judgmental, we look at our own ways and our, we, if we look at our own ways and our past sins, it will give us compassion for those we are judging. I saw a meme that said, leaving the 99 for the one seems crazy until you are the one. They may not have been the one caught in adultery, but at some point they may have been the one, the liar, the cusser, the gossiper, the sexually impure, the glutton, the greed, the coveter, the idolater, the drunkard, the prideful one. We all 
have been the one. What about these? The weed smoker, the lustful one, the lazy one, the envious one, the angry one, the gangbanger, the one having sex before marriage, the one drinking like a fish, the one hanging out at wild parties, the one who aborted a child, the one with one foot in the church and one out, one, the one who had a child before marriage, the one disrespecting your parents, the one with unforgiveness in your heart. We all have been the one. We've all uh, sinned and fall shortened of his glory but it is his word that shows us a mirror. If our lives are not or have not always lined up with the word of God, we should not be casting stones at anyone. Now, when I was reading and preparing this message, I went back and I looked at the Mosaic law and the punishments according to the sins. And I was like, God, I know you're perfect, but you were kind of hard on them. Like, that was, you're rough. But... Although the punishments were rough, God reminded me of the purpose of the law. The law was originally put in place as a foundational guide of right and wrong, so we know how to live and how not to live. Without rules or guidance, anything goes. Can you imagine if we lived in a society where there are no rules, no laws, no police officers? We live in a chaotic world. But the punishment behind the law became void when Christ came because he took the punishment for each of us. It's not only enough to say, yay, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven because I have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus wanted to give us life, life in him, a relationship with him, a life where we have the power to overcome the sins we commit, a life where we operate as God's children and heirs in his kingdom, a life that advances his kingdom. But in our own strength, we cannot keep the law. But these religious people were trying to bind Jesus to the very thing that he came to set the world free from. Now, they knew the word, but they missed it. They recognized their wrong, but unfortunately, because of their spiritual blindness, they couldn't grasp his mercy. Christ died for our sins so that we were made right with God and have a relationship with him, no longer bound to sin, so that our through Christ, our lives can be relationship-driven and not performance or works-driven, and so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live righteously and have help living the life that Christ calls us to. His mercy on judgmental leaders definitely led them to a place of inner reflection. And had they yielded to that, it would have brought them to repentance and a desire to learn from him. It would have afforded them the depth of mercy and life that we're about to see him give this woman. Now, to my brother or sister, who may feel like the guilty one. Romans 8, verses 31 through 33 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also among him graciously, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Another version of verse 33 says, who can be an accuser of the brethren? No one, for we are, excuse me, for we are justified through Christ. This text is talking about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God. Satan himself, who is the accuser or thinks he is the accuser of us, cannot, and no one else should either. Now, disclaimer, this is not for us to run around saying, only God can judge me. 
We need godly community to hold us accountable and help us to grow in our faith. We need correction that comes from godly love, not correction that comes from guilt, shame, or embarrassment, not the type of condemnation that the Pharisees used against this woman. Now, Jesus is, is he's funny to me. I think he has some, some guts when it comes to addressing religious people. In this text, it says, in verse 4 through 7, it says, and Jesus said, excuse me, and said to, they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a bias for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Then kept, kept, when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus stoops down and, and is riding in the dirt pretty much as to ignore them. Like, I can just picture him like, y'all done? Are you done wasting my time? I was teaching. And goes back to writing. They all walk away one by one. And then he addresses her directly. Where are your accusers? Have they not condemned you? No. Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Put yourself in this woman's shoes. She thought that these were her last living moments of life. She was caught in sin, and she knew that she deserved the painful death that was coming to her. Yet this random man who was rumored to be the Messiah saves her from the pain she deserved. So the one who feels guilt and shame, to the one who feels that you deserve bad consequences. God gives you mercy and he calls you out of sin. Not only does he call you out of sin, he helps you no longer live a sinful lifestyle. It's not in your ability to not sin that he grants you mercy. It's his love and kindness that grants you mercy. I'm gonna confess to you today I've been a religious person before who found myself judging someone else for their unrighteous lifestyle. But I've also been the one stunned at his mercy and not knowing how to receive it because I beat myself up. Raven, you know better. Why would you do that? But he didn't out my sins to others. He didn't point it out. He simply showed me my heart and brought me to repentance. Jesus never in the Bible embarrasses people or publicly shames them by pointing out their sin. He simply calls them to himself and through an encounter with him, admonishes them to sin no more. That is mercy. Romans 2, verses 1 through 4. You therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It is his kindness that brings us to repentance. When we realize how undeserving we are and how he loves us in spite of our mess, it helps us realize our need for him. It helps you be grateful for his love and compassion for you. And when you understand his mercy towards you, you realize that you are not in position to judge anyone. 
Know that God has not only given you mercy, but the Bible tells us in Lamentations 3 that his mercy is new every single morning. Every day you get to start over. Jesus' way of dealing with sin is through mercy and forgiveness. Let me repeat that. Jesus' way of dealing with sin is through mercy and forgiveness. You are not expected to wake up tomorrow and be perfect, but you're also not getting a pass to continue in sin. This is an invitation to understand that just like that toddler, when you spill milk, there is a parent that's not only helping you clean it up, but is using it to teach you. Jesus told her, go and sin no more. There is a difference between falling short and living in perpetual sin. The Bible says, should we continue in sin that, great, that grace may abound? God forbid. Don't take his mercy for granted, but understand that the depths of our sin, excuse me, that the depths of our sin and what we really deserve. But we can receive his unmerited grace and mercy. Again, Romans 2 and 4 says, it is his kindness that leads to repentance. And repentance is turning away from sin and turning back to him. Brother, sister, get up. Satan may try to accuse you and make you feel that he has a legal right to come against you. Others may accuse you and throw verbal stones, but no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every word that rises against you in judgment is condemned. Jesus' death and resurrection atone for any sin that you could ever make. No matter what you've done, like this woman, he renders you in the courts of heaven as not guilty. He says, go and sin no more. If you are the judgmental one, see his mercy that shows you your sin, but not in a condemning way, but as an offer to the same grace that he gives the guilty one. As I'm beginning to come close to a close, I don't know if anyone has seen The Chosen. One of my favorite episodes in season two is when Mary or Lilith goes back to her old way of sin. But Jesus sends a couple of disciples to go get her. After falling away, he's, she says, he's already fixed me once and I'm broken again. I can't face him. They tell her, you have to have faith. And she goes on to say, I do have faith in him, just not in me. When she returns to the camp with Jesus and the other disciples, she's so, so ashamed. She tells Jesus that she can't live up to a perfect standard, that she didn't even return to him on her own, that the disciples had to come get her. Sometimes we need a brother or sister in Christ that's willing to show us mercy and lovingly bring us back to Christ. Jesus tells her that he's not expecting her to live up to anything, but that she just, he just wants her heart. He reminds her that she had already given him her heart and that the rest, the change, the growth will come. He literally says, did you really think that you would never struggle or sin again? She had godly sorrow in her heart. She wanted to do the right thing. He tells her to come to him. He tells her that he forgives her. And he gives her the biggest hug. If you have something in your life that you are holding against yourself, feeling guilty about or shamed about, walk in his grace and mercy. 
Walk in the power of his spirit that gives you grace in any weakness you have. There is someone who's saying, I don't have faith in my ability to get it right. But the responsibility is not in you. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that today, all around the world, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. 50 days after Easter, it is the day celebrated in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes, just as Jesus promised. And it is said to mark the beginning of the Christian church. In, in chapter 2, verse 38, Jesus, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for you? Repent. Turn your heart away from sin and back to him. Be baptized. There are opportunities on given Sundays to be baptized. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is a friend. He is a comforter. He reveals the things of God to you in your day-to-day -day life. The Bible even says that the same power, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same spirit and power living on the inside of us as believers. You are not your past sins or your current sins. You are no longer bound to your past and you are no longer bound to the law. Satan cannot accuse you in judgment. Other humans cannot accuse you and you are not to accuse yourself. Receive his grace and mercy. His mercy is new every morning. Whatever you've done yesterday or in your past, confess it. If you'd like to go to the cross at the end, at the end you can do that. Give those things to God and help you in the areas of weakness. He says, son, daughter, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. If you would like prayer, the prayer room is open in the back to my right. If you would like to give your life to Christ, you can do that as well. Leave here with an understanding that you are unconditionally loved and his mercy is new every morning. I've ran a little very quick, but I'm going to go ahead and pray out and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to move however he sees fit. I think a lot of times we go throughout life and it's, it really is sometimes hard to really receive his mercy, especially when you know you're guilty, especially when you step backwards and you're like, how did I get here? You find yourself in situations that just don't make sense. You know that you're better than those things. But God is not pointing a finger at you looking to punish you. He's not going to just do away with you, throw, throw you away or condemn you to hell because you've made mistakes. If you are his child, each and every time you fall short, don't run from him. Get back up and run to him. His mercy is new every morning. Family, let's pray. Family, Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that is new every morning. We thank you, God, that you love us unconditionally. We thank you, God, that you leave the 99 to follow the one, God, whether that one is the one that's been walking with you and has strayed away or it's the one that has never walked with you, God. We thank you that you count every soul as important, God. We thank you that you sit high and you look low, God, that you are mindful of us, even in our sin, even in our shortcomings, even when we lose our way, God. We thank you that you will carry us back to the path that you have for us, God. Lord, I pray that 
after this message that it doesn't just fall to the ground, Father, but that we're able to really apply it to our life, that we're able to meditate on your mercy, that we are reminded that we are like the toddlers who spilled milk and the parent gives grace and says it's okay. God, we thank you that you understand that we are just dust and that we are weak. But God, we thank you that it is in your grace that we are that um, that your grace is sufficient for us, God. Again, God, have your way in our lives. Let this word penetrate our hearts and let us get up every morning with the hearts of thanksgiving, knowing that you are walking with us. We thank you, we honor you, we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.